maybe this isn't the most wise, but like I'll dump all of my savings, all of my everything, like as if this is the last thing I'm going to make. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Cut to Reveal, the podcast where we talk about the editing art form and all the hurdles of that career path. I'm Ricky, and as always, I'm with Peter. Hey, hey, everyone. So today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're still going to be talking about editing and all that great stuff, but we're going to have more. This episode will be more of like a general filmmaking episode with Thomas Percy Kim. Yeah, and Thomas is a writer-director. He's working with Jim Cummings on his next film, which will be his first feature film titled Isle Child. And he's running a WeFounder campaign to raise budget for it. Uh, so that's one of the things we talk about in this episode. Uh, but in general, he's a very accomplished filmmaker, being so young. Um, his latest short film uh, won San Francisco Film Festival, which qualifies it for 2023 Oscars. How cool is that? Yeah, and he hasn't even finished um, film school yet. So he's already well on his way to be a great director and filmmaker. I'm jealous of him. Like, he has found his calling so early. <laughs> lucky guy, lucky guy. <laughs> so let's get into it. Here we are with Thomas Percy Kim. I have so much respect for editors because it's so hard for me. It's like, I think it's one of the least, you know, things that come easily just because, you know, it, it requires such a, I think, a different mindset than the way I'm used to. Yeah. So a huge, I, you know, you guys make the films. Um, so, uh, you know, huge, huge props. Awesome. What area are you most comfortable with? Like, is it directing? Is it writing? Which one is like the, the one that you would like define as your like, you know, main thing? Yeah, I think it's um, directing first and foremost. You know, writing is just a byproduct of that because, you know, I don't have access to top level Hollywood scripts or whatnot, you know. Um, and I'm still trying to find like, you know, a co-writer or someone who I can, you know, uh, mm -hmm. share the script yeah. with. Um, and so usually the reason I write is to get to the final product right and so it's yeah. it's you know directing is kind of it, writing is a way to get to directing for me and you know i i think i'm a hopefully a jack of all trades you know master of none like i love i'm so curious about the world i love like everything and you know i think one of the greatest things about filmmaking for me is just i get to dive into so many facets of life you know whether it's um psychology or you know anthropology or you know um, obviously like, you know, human behavior and dealing with actors, um, or whether it's, you know, being technical and like learning all the craft and like the, the, you know, with the cameras and, 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 you know, all the technical stuff and editing as well. Um, computers. Uh, so I, I love everything. And I think that's why filmmaking fits so well for me, you know, just because I have, uh, maybe like, I'm not like an expert on anything, but, um, I have, I'm very interested in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I actually heard the term specialized generalist or something like that, where you're like, you know, jack of all trades, but at the same time, like there are like, you know, you, you, you play very high game on like a few cylinders. I think that, that being that jack of all trades is really helps you as a director. I think great directors, at least even if they're not masters of everything, as long as they have the understanding that they do of the entire workflow, so to speak, mm -hmm. of like creating the film. So everything that that is uh, puts you head and shoulders above a lot of other directors and filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Thomas, can you just give us like a short story about how you got involved in filmmaking? And also like, because we will we'll base like a few of the following questions on C, your short film. So if you can briefly talk about like how it came to be as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in this 
town called Concord, Massachusetts. If you know anything about Massachusetts, uh, or not Massachusetts, but Concord, Massachusetts, um, you know, it's uh, it's becoming more, more diverse. But, it, you know, it, it, when I was growing up, it was very predominantly uh, white. You know, it was, it was a, a very historical place. You know, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, that's where the American Revolution started. It's genuinely a very wealthy town as well. And, you know, I was none of those things. I was none of those check marks. Um, and growing up there, I think, I'm sure you guys have felt it as well, but there is just this like sense of like not feeling quite like them, like everyone else. Um, and I think that dual identity where it's like, okay, you go to school, you have this one persona, you go back home, you have another persona with your, you know, mm-hmm. your, 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 your Asian parents or whatnot. Um, and I think it's just like a universal foreigners experience, you know, where people feel like they're not part of the majority, you know, which makes sense because, you know, that's just the way it works. And especially in a bubble like high school where it's just there's so much toxicity yeah. and mm-hmm. competition. It's just like, you know, it's just it's a breeding ground for like, you know, all sorts of uh, dramatic stories. And so, um, you know, that, that was kind of like the, 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 the grounds where I started, you know, writing this short film called C. And it's, you know, loosely based on my experiences and, and, and the experiences of um, my Korean American friend who's an adoptee. His name is C. Um, that's where the title comes from. You know, we were like pretty like one of a handful of uh, Asian Americans in our school. And, you know, we we never talked throughout like middle school and high school just because we didn't want to associate with each other. You know, like when you're when you're like, you know, the only few Asians, you're like, oh, you know, um, you don't want to taint your image. And so we never talked. And then I was writing the script. And I was like kind of looking to my own identity, reflecting and wait a second, I was like, oh, wait a second. I am Korean American. I'm like doing research. I'm like, there's this thing called the Korean American experience where people feel this internalized self-hatred against themselves and and who they are and their culture and their parents. And I wrote about that experience. I talked to C, you know, we got ice cream and we would just talk um, over the weekends and, and I got to know him really well. And so he's, he's a really good friend now. And I wrote this short film and then we filmed it at the end of high school, um, senior year. You know, prior, I've done a stop motion short film called Treasure. It's spelled T-R-E-J-U-R. Um, for I worked on that for about three and a half years. Um, it's, it's like very Coraline-esque. Um, so it has like these live action eyes pasted on these puppets um that got into a few festivals and and you know awards and got about 13k in awards money from that and then so that plus a kickstarter plus um some personal savings from working at a camera shop uh put together about 20k and then shot um c at the end of high school you know i had no connections to the film industry at all everyone on set um, was cold emailed, cold called. It was me and like some other random BU person that produced it. Just super run and gun, you know, just like doing whatever we can to make it. And, you know, we hired Ki Hong Lee, who is the star in Maze Runner. Yeah, it was just such a blessing. It like kind of just all fell together. And then, you know, we did it. And it was my first time directing live action. And it found at home on HBO Max. And, and I just feel incredibly grateful and lucky to be able to, you know, have these opportunities. And now we're developing that into a feature. Yeah. And talk about it's developing into, the, into a feature. Like how, how does this, this process look like? And I know you, you've been uh, one of the participants in the short to feature lab, right? Uh, run by Jim, mm-hmm. Jim Cummings. So uh, how did this help with, with this process of develop, developing the short, short into feature? Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last summer, I was in Korea filming another short film, which premiered at the SF Film Festival and won the <laughs> top best short prize. And while I was filming there, I got a call um, from a random number. And it was like, yo, it's Jim. I'm like... Jim Cummings, like, because I I submitted C like two years prior, right? And so like mm-hmm. I had I thought you know I was rejected, 
whatnot, but they had a, a delay because of COVID, and so they just skipped a mm-hmm. year. And so they're mm-hmm. finally giving out all the calls, and you know, Jim calls me. I'm like, oh my god, like I am a huge fan of Jim because I've seen. I was like a fan since yeah. you know Thunder Road, and like because he is the face of independent cinema. You know, he is the yeah, coolest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I get, you know, I'm like, oh my god, it's so sick. While I'm in Korea, I'm like. That's awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, basically in August, you know, up from Korea, I float, I float, I uh, fly back to LA, attend the lab. And it's just like really wonderful. It's such a, I would describe the lab as just like a week, a week and a half of just free time. You know, it's like any sort of getaway where you can just kind of leave the the worries of regular life behind you know they 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 have catered food that's so good um i don't know where they cater but it was every meal was so good <clears throat> and uh you just get to work on whatever you want you know so um some people would write their scripts um i edited the short film and you know he would bring in people to uh like filmmakers and they would pair us up with like like legit mentors like mm. um you know Kogunata or there's some like crazy people and bringing people like to workshops and just hang out and go to the beach, play badminton um, and stuff like that. It was great. Just such a, such a wonderful experience. And also, you know, you have these lifelong friends and, you know, um, mm-hmm. many of them have gone on to do like really incredible things. Uh, there's Anna Baumgarten, a few other people who have gone on to make, you know, their shorts to features. Miles Warren just made a feature that premiered at TIFF this year. Uh, called Bruiser, which is incredible. So yeah, just a wonderful experience. And now Jim's kind of attached us EP for our feature. Um, and we kind of did the WeFunder approach, right? The WeFunder approach, mm-hmm. the crowd equity yep. thing. Because when I was going into the the lab, I, like the, the thing I kept thinking about was like, oh, how do I get this movie made? You know, I have an agent and she's taking it out and she's been wonderful. Um, but statistically, think about it. Like who yeah. is going to invest a million dollars into a first time feature writer director yeah, yeah, who's young yeah, when yeah. there's there's a million other sophomore junior you know feature filmmakers who are way more experienced than me way more older than me who are, who's who want half the money for yes. their you know for another movie so it's like this the, the odds are just impossible i i think are yeah. just very stacked against me and so i was like okay how do i build momentum on this thing right and so i think jim's lab came at the perfect time for me where it was you know it was like i'm the kind of person to just say like, go and get it you know like if there's a way I think the thing about the feature world that frustrated me was just how slow it is and how dependent you are on these financiers and these companies to tell you what's mm-hmm. working and what's not working, you know, yes or no, you know. Um, and so when Jim told me about the WeFunder method, I felt like I had, I could regain control of my own narrative again, you know, like suddenly I could put in my time and effort to make this thing happen or at least mm-hmm. build a momentum to. And so we launched a WeFunder in May um, a couple months ago. We're at about 270000 total. Like we have a couple of investments outside of WeFunder, so 270 total, talking with a couple of production companies in the U.S. and Korea. Um, basically, what I guess I'm trying to say is once we launched in May, you know, and it started like picking up momentum and people saw that there was money in it, you know, that there was backing in it and everyone's getting FOMO and everyone's now like, oh, I want in, you know? Yeah. So it's just this, it's Hollywood is just like psychology to a certain degree where it's just like, People, it's all—it's a lot of talk, right? So, like, people—you got to convince people, and it's all, all about persuasion to, to some degree. And some people are really good at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if if you can leverage that, I think it's it's great. There's so many talented artists out there. What differentiates people is, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit. I think where you know you you do the go get it, me- you know, mentality. You know, doing the WeFunder thing and literally cold emailing every single investor 
is not an easy task. It takes so much mental space. Like, I don't know if you've done a Kickstarter before, but you're just thinking about it constantly. If you've ever done stocks or crypto, it's like always on your mind. You know, you can't stop thinking about money because it's so like, it's just toxic. Um, but you know, you do what you got to do and you, you know, you put the money together and then now people, you know, because our budget's like just under a million, we're raising 350 on WeFunder. Now we have like leverage. Now these companies, you know, are interested and, you know, I think it's just a lot easier mm-hmm. to, you know, move up the ladder and you know, prove yourself and, and, and get the chance to make the film. Makes yeah. sense. But like, did you have the, the, the script for Isle Child ready when you, when you attended uh, the short tool feature lab? Yeah, I did actually, because I was writing it during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So I did have it, have a draft ready. Um, it definitely needed a lot more editing and, and, and whatnot, but um, I, I yeah. chose to spend my time at the lab just editing the short film. Yeah, so you, you basically had an idea how you're going to like turn it into a feature length story uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah, how, how I, are we approaching yeah. it? Because like, for, you know, Jim uh, started his feature, right? Found the road with, with, with like the remake of the scene that was the short film. How did you, did, did you approach the, the, the whole thing? You know, I'm still learning as well, but I think one of my weaknesses as a screenwriter, I think is like dialogue or things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to, my process is like, you know, write the script from just feeling. because I think there has to be like an emotional flow, you know, and, and when you write the vomit draft, like it, that flow comes out, you know, and then as <laughs> you're rewriting, you know, you begin to understand the themes, be, begin to understand the story instead of going into the story with a predetermined um, idea about it. I just kind of let the story tell itself and then using mm-hmm. intuition, like all intuition. And then from there, obviously it's like revising and it's, it's about testing, right? So like I send it out to friends, like a first group of friends, they read it, give me feedback. And then it's just yeah. like testing and testing and testing to see what works. Um, and then from there, you know, with the dialogue and stuff like that, I think because I've always worked in a very low budget scale, um, something that's worked for me is like on set you know as we're getting closer to production i know what pieces i have and so then i can begin to play you know i can throw out everything i do a ton of prep and then i throw it all out and then i just play on set i think that's really fun like improvising on set like yeah okay we have like you know obviously like two hours like we have 10 shots like what are we gonna do you know you, and then you edit it in your head and then you like film yeah. only the shots you need no coverage never co- never any coverage um and then it's, i know it's editor's worst nightmare but uh no coverage just get the shot do a one <laughs> and then call it a day um and all the it's coming from feeling you know it's always coming from if it's a funeral scene like maybe i want to cover that with just a close-up of someone's hands you know like scratching themselves you know um <laughs> And I want the DP and, and the team to know that and like be fluid enough and have enough preparation mm-hmm. to be able to get to that, you know, be like, one, we don't have time Two, we don't have money. Three, how do we make this more creative? Um, so instead of doing like a standard wide, closer, 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 we'll just do a, a close up of her nails or something, you know, and that will evoke so much more. Um, and so I think that's, that's my script to screen process. Okay, cool. I also want to ask you about like we've watched uh, Busan. Is it is it called mm-hmm. Busan nineteen ninety nine? Right. Yep. Uh, and I've mm-hmm. noticed like there is there 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 is like um, overlap between the short film and storyline of Isle Child, where basically there is like this homecoming aspect, right, to Korea. So uh, is that on purpose? Yeah, you did. You caught on. So basically, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to make 
1999 was because it was set in Korea and about 15 to 20 pages of Isle Child, the feature film is set in Korea. And so I really wanted to like, it's all prep, right? So I wanted to know what is it going to be like shooting in Korea? Okay. Like directing in Korean, the Korean film industry, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, naturally, you know, I think this similar themes of identity and that kind of stuff just like bled out. Um, and especially that's b- because it's something that I'm thinking about in my life at this moment a lot right now. Um, you know, uh, coming from Massachusetts to L.A. where it's so diverse, I think identity is something that's on my plate a lot. But obviously, you know, as time goes and I, I get older and stuff, I'm sure I'll have broader things to you know touch on. But yeah, you're right. There is <laughs> a connect there. Yeah, so basically you're doing like a prep work <laughs> before this big project coming up your yeah. way. That's, That's awesome. smart. Yeah. That's smart. I noticed the, because uh, we watched, or I watched Busan today and thought it was, I was watching, I was like, oh, there's like a, a, a burlap texture filter over the entire film to give it that grit. And then yeah. I was also thinking that between Z, or Z and Busan, um, water, close-ups of hands washing and stuff. Yeah. Those uh, cover shots of like showing the texture, like mm-hmm. the close-ups of the bathroom and then the hands and stuff like that. That's you're a man after my own heart. Those are like <laughs> eye candy to me. I'm like, oh, this is the best ever. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, a, cu- a couple of things to note about that. Um, first off, the burlap texture. Um, I was looking at some comparison or like you know some some reference shots when I was in prep, and I ran into this Japanese photographer named Rinko Kawaguchi or something like that. She's an incredible photographer, and I found a PDF of her works, and her some of her shots had this like filtration to it, which looked like the grid of a photo book. I found like a random stock image of like cloth and just like keyed it out and then put that over <laughs> it. I wish it was a finer texture. I wish it was like mm-hmm. finer, but because on the big screen, like it really shows it's a little too much. But I def I wanted to break up the image. I think it's so fun like playing with what image should feel like. And I kind of wanted to give it that like distance, you know? And, and mm-hmm. then one of the reasons why people put grain not only for the texture is I think just to like separate the image and make it feel a little bit more distant. Because mm-hmm. when you distance the image, sometimes it feels closer for some mm-hmm. reason. I, I I don't know. There's just a psychological thing about that I think. It just feels a little bit more intimate. It feels more non-intrusive and so you're able to connect with it more um i saw a great post from about the lady about ladybird and how they also took the alexa grain mm-hmm. and put that on top uh to give it that you know that 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 extra layer which makes it feel not so immersive you know it feels like mm-hmm. you're kind of at an arm's distance and that allows you to just kind of watch the story as if it's like a fable yeah when it's not so similar to your life i feel like then mm-hmm. you are able to I don't know. Something about it just feels more warm and like you, it feels like more inviting, um, in my opinion. Um, and then another thing you mentioned those like close up shots and stuff. Something that I want to note is that film was shot in one and a half days, the whole thing. And so, wow. a lot of those choices again are coming from a lack of money and time. <laughs> we have like an hour left, and we got to get all of this. How are we going to cover this? You know, um, so then you get really creative, um, and you're editing in your head, and you're not getting any coverage and. It's very stressful, but, you, wow. know, uh, you know, I think that's more well, interesting it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks to how well, how good of a director that you're going to be, where even in the edit, like all of that looks deliberate. You know what I mean? Like yep. you couldn't see it and be like, well, they, it's obvious they didn't have yeah. enough coverage. And so they're just, they were forced to do this stuff. And that I think really speaks to how well you were able to like throw that together and be like, okay, this is 
it goes along with the story so well. Kudos to you for that because it looked it came out awesome. Also, I think my background as a as a stop motion animator, like you know, obviously in stop motion animation, you're going frame by frame, and so you you have a really good at understanding timing. I think of like you know what are the the beats and like when do we need to cut? Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are editors, so you guys know yeah. this way better mm-hmm. than I do. Yeah. But I think just timing wise, like oh, like you know, this should be exactly like. I don't know, like, you know, just mm-hmm. the timing, I think mm-hmm. is just kind of ingrained in me. And so I was able to storyboard it in my head and edit it in my head as we're going, as we're filming, as we're changing things, um, which I hopefully made it feel like it was all deliberate, you know, and nothing felt, you know, awkward. Because I think every shot needs, like you guys probably know this, but every shot needs that flow. Like this shot, there's just something about a shot that fits into another shot, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just all intuition, I think. It goes back to like you were saying about that, that feel, that gut feeling like as editors, we're watching the, the pacing and the timing and it's all by feel. It's not like instructions like, OK, this is going to be three minutes and it may work out to be three minutes, but it's also like I'm editing it this way because this is how it feels right. In my mind, this is how it feels right. Or watching it, this is where it should cut, cut. that intuition and that gut feeling. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. totally a real thing. I've read on your website that Isle Child got reviewed by the producer of Moonlight, 12 Years a Slave. First of all, how did it happen? Secondly, like, how did it like influence the script? Did you make any like, you know, changes to it afterwards? Oh yeah, if you if if Didi Garner gives you notes, you take them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, basically, it was through this uh, another fellowship called Diverso. Um, Diverso is like the organization; it's a nonprofit, um, and they have a program called Minority Report for young screenwriters. Um, so I submitted, I was, you know, the, I was chosen as a fellow and then the top scripts get chosen by the, to read by the jury board. Only one or two get chosen for um, each jury board member. And one of the board members, the top board member was Didi Gardner from Plan B. Yeah, Didi and Darrell Britt Gibson, I think. Uh, he's an actor. He also read it. Um, and then, yeah, they gave me notes. And this was like uh, one of the first early, like version four or five um <laughs> drafts like very early draft and so yeah i mean that like that i still have that on my you know computer desktop it, you know it's like so cool to receive um obviously she you know loved the script um she gave me notes on how sometimes like the the symbolism could be a little bit too much and so i toned that down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then developing the mother character some notes on that i what i loved about her notes was she was so filmmaker oriented and so all of her Mm -hmm. notes was unlike any other notes i've ever gotten and what i mean by that is like she understands the filmmaker's vision and is adapting her notes around that you know what i mean she's it's not like her vision she's not injecting her vision into it Mm -hmm. and giving notes Mm -hmm. she understands the filmmaker's vision and then is Mm -hmm. giving ways to supplement that if that makes sense um i just Mm -hmm. thought that was a really uncommon and you know interesting and difficult um, on her part. So kind of going back to Jim Cummings as an executive producer, what's his influence on you? Yeah. I mean, I really accredit a lot to him. Um, he's given me all the tools I need to be able to do it myself, um, mm-hmm. without having to rely on the gatekeepers, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. right now he's, yeah, he's an executive producer. He's also like, 
he's just like a mentor and like just a friend to be honest he's like an uncle figure you know he's just like always there like <laughs> yeah. you know every few days i'll just be like yo i have a question on this and so we'll just call for a second i don't know how else, else to describe it you know he's just like uh yeah yeah jimmy's always helpful yeah. <laughs> I, I liked when he was doing like these um Twitter spaces, right? Where he was like talking for two hours, like answering questions, like yeah. <laughs> from every every facet of filmmaking world. He is so philanthropic with his time and his resources and his uh, knowledge. Because I feel like in in Hollywood, there there a lot of people want to gatekeep their information. And they want it like yeah. There's this yeah. there's this um what's the word the uh, scarcity mentality. And so yeah. like yeah. you know people yeah. are like oh if I share my knowledge or share yeah. my you know wealth or my whatever my social media pre- presence yeah. like, I won't get to the top. You know like there's mm-hmm. that mentality. But Jim has this uh, abundance mentality. I think yeah. and so he's always willing to share his time, willing to share his information, his knowledge about anything you know i actually i called jim in 2017 i think when i was working on the stop motion short film his his buddy dan danny madden who made a uh, feature film oh, called yeah. beast beast uh danny and i are close uh but yeah, i call you know i called jim with with the stop motion he was like connected with me with danny because danny's also an animator um so we actually called back then but then it came full circle because you know like what three or four <laughs> years later you know i'm at the lab and i'm like oh my god <laughs> um he's genuinely like really really awesome how'd you run into jim like how'd you find his we funder campaign uh, uh i've been following him since funder road short film i mean uh then of course feature as well um but yeah but it's, it started with the short film for me like i i love the story it was very uh I, at least i took it very personally like um i i, I just love the stuff he does he does like the minutes all six are amazing great i love watching them uh yeah, so once i saw that he's working on the third one and that he's going to use we founder i was like into it right away and i i am a very minor minor investor but at the same time i just i just I just knew I, I want to be part of it, even if it would be like a Patreon, basically an initiative where he's just getting money to do it. I would still like, you know, put money there because I think the, the stuff that he does for 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 the filmmaking community just like begs to be paid back by goodwill of the people around. Yeah, no, I, I love how he is so community oriented too. You know, the reason why he made the Shorts the Feature Lab was he saw that there was this lack of you know this space this open space in the film industry where like people weren't putting the ladder back down yeah Um, what i mean by that is like people at the top you know they would yeah 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 yeah. get over the castle walls and like live in the castle right but you know there Mm. there was nobody who would bring the ladder down for the other people yeah i also want to shout out his um you know his team you know he has his uh producer ben weissner um Mm -hmm. who's you know also part of the lab and you know he's put in um, an incredible amount of work, you know, for Jim, for us, for everyone. Um, he's also just such a, you know, similarly, just like the most humble, like he's like such a dad figure. I don't know. He's, he's so cool. I like that idea of the, the, how you said the sharing of abundance. And it made me think of like, there's that other phrase where, you know, the high tide lifts all boats. And so mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want that? Getting everybody to like make cool shit. You're just going to get more cool shit. So why wouldn't you? Yeah cultivate that and make that uh, a standard and i think you know the we funder just fits perfectly into that you know where it's it's all about building a community it's all about building a community of film lovers and movie lovers and people who are you know want to invest in your vision and 
you know, they don't, they haven't read the script, you know, uh, but to be honest, mm-hmm. I think a lot of Hollywood also like, nobody really knows how to read these days. It's all about like the, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the, the pitch materials. It's about the way you present yeah. yourself, your old films, about the proof of concept, you know, it's, yeah. you know, nobody has the attention span these days. Um, and so, it, you know, everyone's believing in you as a person and your, your vision. So what are the challenges for you when editing? What are the biggest challenges for you? And how do you plan to, to, to approach editing of, uh, Isle Child? Well, I have edited all my shorts so far and that's because I didn't have the money to <laughs> get an actual editor. So with the feature, obviously I'd outsource that. So to be honest, I'm learning, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out what a relationship with an editor would look like because I haven't had experience with that, you know, um, because I come in with a very specific vision, you know, when I'm going to the production, like, Yeah. Obviously, day one, I, it, you know, production is just like, I think, fighting, you walk in and you've already lost the game, you know, you've already lost the match, you're just trying to fight back to keep whatever, like someone's stealing your treasure, you know, raccoons are stealing your treasure, and you're just like, from the moment day begins, you're just trying to claim whatever you can, like little last, last scraps, you're trying to like, make it work you know it's like just trying to not let it all fall apart just letting a little bit fall apart you know when i go into production i have a very very specific plan of everything like i i i know exactly like what kind of foley and sound is going to go in how it's going to cut together the color mm-hmm. what it's going to mm-hmm. look like uh, every shot like moving elements obviously you get to the edit it's not how it's going to work out and you like adjust from there but um i'm very curious what that relationship would look like with an editor who is better at editing than me and You know, I think that'll just take some time figuring out, like maybe, you know, they do the first pass or I do the first pass or, you know, and then mm-hmm. kind of come back together and then collaborating. You know, I think I love collaboration. I think everyone is smarter than me. I think, <laughs> I think again, like it's the master of all, I mean, uh, jack of all, master of none kind of things. Um, so I'm, I always want to learn from people and always want to uh, find people who are smarter than me and better than me um, because I think that's how collaboration Um, should work. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what that would look like with a feature. And, and again, with like editing, because I'm not like first and foremost an editor with all my previous shorts, when I would edit it and then I'll send it off to a friend who I know is good at editing and they'll take a look mm-hmm. and then give me notes, just like mm-hmm. the screenwriting process. So mm-hmm. that's, that's all, yeah, yeah. that's the extent of my experience so far with editing. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Iterative process. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Okay, uh, Thomas, um, do you have like any actionable tips for filmmakers um, that they can like implement to, to make better movies? Yeah, I think something that's always helped me was um, kind of putting all my eggs in one basket. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think the structure of film school and like the filmmaking process, like it's quantity over quality, right? And yeah, that works. I think that's great. Like it works for some people. Things that have, that's worked for me is putting all my bag, all my eggs into one basket um, and then taking a very big jump from there. So, you know, my first short film was like the stop motion thing. Um, you know, I did Kickstarter for that, raised about seven grand and then shot that for three and a half years, right? Um, mm-hmm. That got me into a certain level, like a certain range of filmmaking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then jump from there to a 20K live action short film. And like live action was always somewhere that I wanted to go. It's just I didn't have the resources, the people, the connections to do so, okay. um, being like a freshman in high school. But yeah, jump from jumping from there to, a, to another short film, you know what I mean? And then to a feature, like jumping as high as I can each time because... I put everything into my last short film, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe this isn't the most wise, but like I'll dump all of my savings, all of my everything, like as if this is the last thing I'm going to make 
right? Mm-hmm. Doing it like that. And then I'm able to, because the product is, you know, hopefully better than if I hadn't put everything into it, then the better product leads to a better result, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like with all of my shorts, I've been able to find or been able to recoup a lot of the funds, maybe because, you know, like I put everything into it and that money just like pays off. You're investing, right? Investing into it. So into your future. And so uh, something that's worked for me is like doing that, putting all my eggs in one to one basket. I think proof of concepts are the way to go now. Like with any sort of IP or material these days, it's always based on IP. So it's always based on either a book, an article or you know, nowadays you need a short film, like a proof of concept short film. So I think yeah, yeah. Uh, that is incredibly useful. Instead of having like a director sample short film, just make a proof of concept for your feature or your TV mm-hmm. show. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really valuable. And just lastly, just reach for the stars. Um, it kind of ties into the first point of just putting everything into it, you know, uh, go as big as you can. People are kind. Most of them, you know, they'll say yes, like big actors, you know, they'll want to start your thing. Once you have a big actor, then the money comes in or like other people want to come in. And then like, now you have this thing that's grew, you know, it's grew, become bigger mm-hmm. and now you have a big project and then you do your best, you put everything into it and then, you know, cross your fingers and hopefully the stars will align. And then, you know, that's you amazing. Do it again. That's great. That's great. <laughs> what do you want to have end with? Like, do you want to invite people to your WeFounder campaign? Uh, like it's your pitch time. So whatever you want to say, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess, you know, if you if you want to be part of the WeFunder, um, I think that'd be, a, you know, a wonderful place to, you know, start or like, you know, look into, I think. Uh, that'll have all of the information about our feature film, me, you know, our team, Jim and everything. And also, if you have the extra funds, like, uh, you know, you um, wouldn't hurt to invest. And how that works is basically, you know, you invest and now you're an investor in this film. Like, think of any tech startup, think of, you know, investing in stock. Um, you know, once the film makes money... All of it will, you know, go to the investors until they make back 125% of their initial investment. And then on top of that, they'll get uh, 30% equity. So 30% net equity um, that the film makes after investors recoup their 125% um, goes to the investors split based on their share size, right? So basically, long story short, if you believe in the project, if you believe in us, um, I think we have an incredible team. You know, I think uh, not only our producers very, very talented and like have worked with, you know, with A24, you know, these are huge companies, um, okay. but also, uh, you know, we have Jim. He has like his own distribution method. We're pretty confident that we can get this thing sold, you know, obviously, you know, fingers crossed, and, you know, uh, festivals. But, um, you know, we sell the film and then we make the money and then, you know, give it back to our investors and in the process, um, build a community around it. So, yeah. 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 but if you don't have money it's okay like don't even worry about it (laughs) thomas i think you're well on your way of building that community and and all that stuff so yeah yeah thanks for joining us thanks so much for having me guys yeah such a wonderful conversation i think what i like most of what he said is the scarcity versus abundance mindset. Oh yeah. As a as a kid, I think I was like sometimes I was afraid of like you know, uh, I want to be the best in, in in class in you know on that in that subject. So maybe I shouldn't share that I read like the the book about it or something like that. And it's even like I'm mm-hmm. a little bit ashamed even to, to to say it, but it's definitely something that I I realized. Uh, Fortunately, early on, that it's it's a bad idea and that it always look like backfires. 
and like the the best idea and the best way to learn something and to to accelerate something is actually to share to share what you learn you know the sharing what you learn and mm-hmm. like teaching others is the best way to actually accelerate yourself even more i would agree with that <clears throat> definitely like learning and trying stuff and just doing it because i think that's a big thing of like with thomas is that he just loved filmmaking and just you know didn't wait for anybody to be like okay you can now take this camera and make a film he just decided yeah. to do it and you know it's paying off i mean even if he wasn't you know winning awards and stuff like that him just doing it is a win in itself um and exactly. you know sharing that knowledge with other people so that they can be inspired is always a plus in my book so yeah kudos to thomas for sure okay that's that's it for today thank you for for listening to us and to you know to taking time out of your busy day as always, we want your messages on SpeakPipe. So be so good. <laughs> like visit that link in the description and like, you know, record us a message. We want to hear your voice. We, we do. We really do. <laughs> also, don't forget we have the email to send it to, as well as if you want to follow us on Instagram at cut to reveal is the handle. Um, and thanks everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, as always, we want to hear from you and thanks again. So I hope you have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, or subscribe on whatever platform you've listened to this on. Your reviews help other editors to discover the show and tell your friends. Also, if you have any questions or comments, leave us a message at SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description or email us at podcast at cuttothepoint.com. 